In reality television, the people are represented by two separate but equally obsessed attorneys. This is their podcast. Hi, I'm Ceci. And I'm Angela. And this is the Bravo Docket. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. In reality television, the people are represented by two separate but equally obsessed attorneys. This is their podcast. Hi, I'm Ceci. And I'm Angela. And this is the Bravo Docket. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Bravo Docket. Today, we're going to be covering something that we got requested a lot in the past month, and that is the Todd and Julie Chrisley family drama. Angela and I didn't watch the show before being asked to cover this, but we have since each watched some episodes to figure out who this family is and why they even had a show to begin with. You want to talk about your experience watching? I'll give my experience watching and then we'll dive into the case. Okay, well, first, I want to thank the Bravo Docket legal team for suggesting this, because I don't think Ceci and I, even though it was in the news, would have thought to cover this on our own because we'd never watched the show. I watched a couple episodes of season one and a couple episodes of season eight. And my first thought was, how did this happen? How did these people get on TV? They seem like just the, should I say this? They kind of reminded me of like when your mom or aunt makes you go to church in the South or something, and then they're the popular church couple that you have to make polite conversation with, and then they just talk about themselves the whole time. That's kind of like, they seem like a mega church popular couple. That's kind of how they seem to me. I thought you were going to say something bad. That wasn't bad. (laughs) They just, I don't know. If you like these people, I'm sorry, you should stop listening to this episode because these people have been grifters from the very beginning. They have been grifting nonstop. And this, this stuff is so juicy I cannot believe they decided to go on TV. Okay, so my viewing, I watched, accidentally watched the first three episodes. I was only going to watch one episode of the first season. And I took notes as I was watching just because I wanted to get my impression out there and make sure I could remember it. So without ever watching it before, I really thought that this was about the former Steelers family. And that's like a different show. There's like one with like a former Steelers player and his family. I thought that that's what this show was. Entirely different family. 
entirely different <laughs> show. But when I pulled it up on Peacock, I was like, oh, this is about a mom and her family and her gay best friend, r- like <laughs> raising a family. I le- I swear this is what I thought. And then I watched it and I was like, oh, that's the dad. Like, he's very tan, very blonde. He's dressed very well. He kind of reminds me, I don't know if you've seen this, of Ryan Gosling is going to be playing Ken in a Barbie movie coming up. You should Google this if you haven't seen it. He's playing Ken, but like bleach blonde Ken. There is a doll that he looks like, but this is what Todd Chrisley looks like to me, just a little bit older. And he said he made 95% of their money in real estate. And now he wants a life in fashion. That comes out in the first episode He said he has his closet organized by season. They spend sometimes over $300,000 a year on clothing. He approves every piece of clothing that his kids wear. He's trying to start a a department store called Chrisley and Company. I wrote, I just choked. He wants to go into fashion, question mark. (laughs) No, he always dreamed of going into fashion. That's what he said. Yeah. yeah. He's super overbearing. He tracks his kids' cars with tracking devices. I guess. Okay, like wait, the- wait, hold up, hold up, hold up. I just pulled up Ryan Gosling as Ken <laughs> and Todd Chrisley wishes. I mean, come on, no, don't I give know, him that I much said, credit. I said he's like older and more tan and a little bit more overfilled, but they have this no, same like, vibe. No, I just, yes, I, I do. I'm not. I, I okay, know fine. if we like, like microwaved looked- the Ken doll in the microwave. Okay, if you put the Ken doll in the microwave, that is perfect. If you put the Ken doll okay. in the microwave. And melt like melted it a little bit and then made it puffy. Okay, I give you there. <laughs> you but, get what I'm saying? Like they they both I are like saying. Boca Raton like shopping together or something. Yeah. But like he looks like Marshall Langman from Parks and Rec, and I swear they must have modeled that Parks and Rec character after him. He looks like that guy, you know, the one that's like the morality police, and you can tell he's gay, and he's trying to stop Leslie Nope from teaching the old people about <laughs> contraceptives. <laughs> that's that's who he is. Okay. Yeah. And not to like speculate on his sexuality, but I was talking to friends who actually watched the show and they said that that was a big draw to it was people speculating on his sexuality. And I guess it happens a lot because he had to give interviews about how he was flattered that people think he's gay and his wife is flattered that people think that he can get it from both sides. That is a quote that he said that was from an article. I just don't understand the draw to the show. He was so overbearing with his children that it was a little off-putting to me, so I stopped after those few episodes. It's not a show that I find entertaining. However, Bravo had it on repeat constantly for whatever reason. Yeah, that's what my impression of the show was. Yeah, I couldn't figure out how they got a show, so I actually found a podcast episode. It's from a show called Exec Slash Producer with Noah Pollock, and it's actually a fascinating podcast because... They interview people that pitch the shows and then interview the network execs that pick up the reality shows. And they talk about the process and what made the network decide to pick it up. And the person that was working on creating the show, I guess he bumped into this woman and she was supposed to be working as a buyer or something. And then Todd Chrisley never paid her. But then she later pitched them for a reality show. And so she ended up getting paid as a producer on the reality show. And the producer that initially pitched the show to all the networks, he said Todd Chrisley flew up and talked to him and just talked nonstop for two hours. And the producer was like, this person is perfect for reality TV, which I think might actually be like a really big insult. I think you like probably don't want to be described that way. 
And he said he just talked nonstop for two hours. And he said when they originally flew down to get the sizzle reel and get the video to pitch to networks, that they originally had planned on the show centering around Lindsay Chrisley because she had just eloped. Todd Chrisley was really upset about that, but she was also pregnant. But none of the family had told Todd that she was pregnant, but they were telling the reality show producers. And so they had planned this whole show to really be based around Lindsay but then she got kicked out of the family and then Todd Chrisley ended up funding like a reshoot. And then when they pitched it, they had like, networks competing over it. Yeah. And then it was picked up by the USA Network. But we've been blessed with it on our Bravo screens. But Todd was married once before, before marrying Julie to a woman named Teresa Terry. And that is the mother of Lindsay Chrisley and Kyle Chrisley. But the first wife, they got married really young. She describes him as being very controlling. There was a custody battle. He actually, after making millions of dollars, sued her for a million dollars in child support. This Daily Mail article is pretty interesting. It's the only one I could find where they had actually interviewed her, and it's in her words. Not the best relationship between the two of them. I mean, she said that he was incredibly vindictive. He actually sold, according to her, a video of her with another man to a thing on cheating scandals, even though he'd already moved on with Julie Chrisley, his second wife that we see on TV. So some stuff there. Feel free to Google. Yeah, there's so much to get through that we couldn't do yeah. deep dives into everything. So we're just picking and choosing the highlight reel of Todd Chrisley. So 1996, Todd marries Julie, and they have a son, Chase, that same year. So he did start out actually making good money. They formed executive asset management in 2001, and they were doing real estate, foreclosure, resales, things like that. They were fairly successful. They'd manage and resell properties that were foreclosed by the Federal National Mortgage Association, i.e. Fannie Mae, and then executive asset management would get paid a commission. This is when the, the grifting starts. It starts pretty quick in here. So we're going to go through this in chronological order. We will tell you when we skip back and forth when we have to to add context. But there was so much fraud and scamming and grifting for such an extended period of time that we didn't really know how to go through this all without just kind of doing it in a timeline. So they have these foreclosure resale companies. They're getting paid commission from Fannie Mae. They're doing some shady stuff, selling the companies back and forth to each other. And then from the indictment, so this is on or about November 5th, 2007, Mark Braddock, who is the manager of executive asset management and then also Chrisley Asset Management, which are two related companies, he's they're getting they're getting bank loans that they shouldn't be getting. They're claiming that they have more money than they have in order to get loans. And then they're using the money from the loans to just benefit themselves, essentially. Mark Braddock sends an email, and we'll hear more about Mark Braddock later, that copies Todd Chrisley attaching a personal financial statement that falsely claims that Todd Chrisley had $4 million in a bank account at Merrill Lynch. When the bank employee requested account statements, Mark Braddock sent Todd Chrisley a fabricated bank statement showing that Todd and Julie had $776,000 on deposit at Merrill Lynch. In response, Todd Chrisley tells Mark Braddock, quote, you are a fucking genius. Just make it show four mil. 
Now, <laughs> this is from November 5th, 2007. Grifting starts long before they're on TV. Meanwhile, they're also not paying their taxes. They're claiming they don't have enough money to pay their taxes while they're sending bank executives falsified documents to get additional bank loans. Then they're getting those loans, but they're also not paying their taxes, which is bad. (laughs) It's all bad. And so this is pre-financial crash. As we all unfortunately know, in 2008, the markets crashed and these Small independent hometown banks now have a lot more FDIC oversight and monitoring power. And so the FDIC starts conducting reviews of things and making sure that the loans that are being given out are secured properly with all the new additional oversight powers. And that's did not prevent the Chrisleys from continuing to falsify documents and get additional loans, unfortunately. So in August 27, 2009, a bank representative notified Chrisley and Mark Braddock, the last personal financial statement we have on file looks a lot like the December 31, 2008 statement we received, like cash, securities, real estate, all exactly the same. We have a review coming up and like to show this accurately so that no one asks questions as to how these could all be exactly the same seven months later. I mean, they got that's pretty lazy. They're falsifying documents and then just resubmitting the same ones. It, come on, guys. So so Todd Chrisley forwards this message to Mark Braddock and says, bring the securities down significantly. This is in quotes. The bank representative also notifies Chrisley and Mark Braddock that we have an FDIC examination beginning Monday, September 14th, and your file will be one they will review. Any assistance you can provide here to update your statement would be appreciated. And then Todd Chrisley again forwards this message to Mark Braddock and says, This is why that personal financial statement needs to reflect what you sent to regions. So this clearly shows that Mark Braddock and Chris Lee were working together on this. They're sending emails back and forth. They're saying, okay, they're checking in closer on these falsified bank documents. We need to make sure that we have all of our fake documents as accurate as possible. This is from 2009. And it's just crazy because we'll get to the testimony from the trial later, but there was an accountant who testified that they were making close to like a million dollars a month just on their flipping business. So then to be so greedy and need more money is outrageous. But we'll we'll get to that. Yeah, we're, we're getting to it. So now we're on to like from June to December 2010. They're still, again, doing false audit paperwork false financial statements to multiple banks. I mean, there's there's one, two, three, four, five, six banks that they're sending false financial statements to in order to obtain additional loans. According to the indictment, this is when they're defrauding community banks for about 30 million in loans. Ceci, do you want to talk about how this is like some a little similar to Teresa and Joe? Yeah, I mean, similar to Teresa and Joe, they're over here trying to get loans with completely false bank accounts. And it's also similar to Teresa and Joe, like we talked about yesterday when going over this case, how it was kind of pre-financial crisis. And then it later bit them in the butt with, like you said, with regulations being tightened. There's also similarities because both ended up filing for bankruptcy. (laughs) So dumb. So it's just the audacity of these people. Okay. They were also doing kind of like a Ponzi scheme. So they're submitting false information to obtain loans based on, you know, wealth and personal finances that they don't actually have. And then they were continuing to do that to get new loans 
and using the new loans to pay back the old loans. It's like a Ponzi scheme, kind of like what Tom Girardi was doing. He was spending his client's settlement money on other things that he shouldn't have, and then getting new settlements in and then paying the clients that he hadn't paid with the new settlement money. It's just a mess. And they're spending it on clothes, cars. Come on. Yeah. You know, just live a normal life with what you got. You don't need to go and get all this money. Yeah. <sighs> so it says, this is from the indictment, but it says, from June 2010 through December 2010, Todd and Julie Chrisley transferred more than $800,000 from Chrisley, Chrisley Asset Management into a Chrisley & Company bank account, much of which they then used for their own personal benefit. Also, Todd Chrisley failed to timely pay any of the $701,000 that he initially reported as due and owing when filing his 2009 tax return in October 2010. So they're doing this Ponzi scheme with the loans, submitting false information bank to get new loans, repaying the old loans they fraudulently got with the money from the new loans, and then also not paying their taxes. Okay, this is also a case of everybody sucks here because Mark Braddock, who was Chris Lee's partner in these operations, it does appear that he was like being like, okay, well, I'll help you defraud the government and the IRS, but I'm going to pay myself extra for that and not tell you. And then also open up a competing company and not tell you about that. Now we're up to April 2012 with essentially nonstop fraud and grifting by the Chrisleys and their business partners. And then it says, this is again from the indictment, when attempting to provide evidence of available funds in April 2012 to a lender, Julie Chrisley forwarded a copy of a check to Mark Braddock and Todd Chrisley. And then it, like, again, they're just having them post date checks. And so this is February 2012. And to make sure it looks perfect because we can't screw this up. So there's emails. Also, they're doing this over email. They're doing it over email. They're saying, here's how we're going to do this fraud. This fraud needs to look perfect. And they're saying it over email. You guys. <laughs> so, so bad. So yeah, bad. So then, like, Todd ends up firing Mark Braddock in July 2012 because he's like, you're stealing money from me. And it's just like, dude, you're stealing money from banks what do you mean you know there's no honor among thieves i guess <laughs> but then todd decides to get a temporary restraining order against mark braddock and he says that mark had used the accountant's stationery and signature without knowledge or consent of todd or the accountant three months earlier however todd emailed mark braddock asking can you place this on the accountant's letterhead with his signature and then sign <laughs> Julie's name below and address the letter to whom it may concern? So it's like he puts in an application to get a restraining order that he's getting a restraining order because Mark Braddock is stealing from him. But then they find an email later that he instructed Mark Braddock to use that letterhead. To, to do oh, that exact God. thing. Yeah. <laughs> so he gets this temporary restraining order against Mark Braddock. He says this stuff in a sworn affidavit. It comes back to bite him later. It's, I mean, it, this is just all a mess. So then he, they, they declare bankruptcy. In August 31st, 2012, Todd Chrisley declares bankruptcy for $47 million in the Northern District of Florida. I pulled the forms and Chrisley checked the box saying debtor has been domiciled or has had a residence, principal place of business, and principal assets in this district for 180 days immediately preceding the date of this petition. So he's like saying I live in Florida because Florida has no income tax. 
He's trying to avoid paying income tax in Georgia, where he actually lives. Chrisley estimates his liability to be between $10 million and $50 million. That's one of the boxes you can check on your bankruptcy form. And then alleges assets of $1 million to $10 million. And then he claims that he lives in Rosemary Beach, Florida, and gives an address. So this is where things start to go downhill for Todd, because he's filing for bankruptcy and has to submit all this paperwork and such. And it starts flagging authorities and judges and the trustee even that something isn't right here. This is all from people.com. So I want to give credit where credit is due. But he listed $4.2 million in assets. His debts totaled $49.4 million. He said that he guaranteed a real estate development loan and it failed. That's what his attorney said. He was on the hook for $30 million. If he hadn't had that happen, he would have been fine financially. So he's blaming it on one loan that had an issue. He had mortgages totaling $12 million, a delinquent IRS bill for $595,000, and $4.4 million loan from his wife, Julie, this article says, who happens to be a former Miss Carolina. It's like, okay, thanks for that. Of course she was. (laughs) Yeah. So in a court filing, Todd claimed he only had $55 in his checking account and $100 in cash. The remainder of his assets were $4.2 million in real estate. So at some point here, the trustee was suspicious of the Chrisley bankruptcy filings and began to investigate whether they were hiding any wealth. The trustee claimed that Chrisley had transferred some of his wealth to Julie to protect his assets from being, you know, claimed to repay these creditors. And he says that, oddly, neither Chrisley nor his wife Julie have been employed since 2012. (laughs) However, they continue to live in lavish residences, drive expensive vehicles, and travel extensively. Chrisley's lawyer in response said he has cooperated fully. He's been totally honest and forthright. He is not hiding assets. Something else that's funny that came up was the clothes that (laughs) Todd Chrisley was wearing. Because in his bankruptcy filing, he claimed that his clothes were worth $650. The trustee pulled his receipts from American Express, Louis Vuitton, and Saks Fifth Avenue to show that he had spent thousands of dollars on clothing. So he's over here saying he only has $650 worth of clothes. And it's like, you can't get anything for that much money at Louis Vuitton. Maybe a pair of socks, but come on. Well, also, in the first episode of the show, which was filmed in 2013 and then aired in 2014, he says he spends, what, $300,000 a year on clothes? And it shows his closet, but apparently his clothes are only worth $650. Yeah. Well, the attorney in response, his attorney in response says, we'll have the clothes appraised, but I go on eBay and used designer clothes don't sell for that much. These are used clothes. Like, get out of here. Yeah. Wow. As you guys know from listening to us, there's adversary proceedings in a bankruptcy if they think that you're hiding money. We know about that from the Girardi bankruptcies. Well, there was also an adversary proceeding in the Chrisley bankruptcy. And it says that during their business's successful tenure that the Chrisleys were withdrawing over $500,000 per month in income from the business. And that Michael... So Todd Chrisley's first name is actually Michael. So it's Michael Todd Chrisley. But Todd Chrisley and Julie Chrisley own or owned multi-million dollar homes and resorts in Florida and South Carolina as well as Atlanta. And then he has a condominium in Los Angeles and leases a substantial residence in Gwinnett County, Georgia. The debtors, meaning the Chrisleys, have attempted to create ambiguity over who are the actual owners 
of the business, Chrisley Aslett Management, throughout its history. There are various operating agreements providing for different ownership divisions among Michael Chrisley, Julie Chrisley, Key Asset Solutions, and debtor's former business partner, Mark Braddock. The bankruptcy trustee is like, look, there's there's like 17 or something companies on here. There's all these different operating agreements. This is not how businesses, legitimate businesses work. This is shady. So they talk about the different versions and why that's an issue. Just taking a step back, this is so annoying because it's like they're getting loans fraudulently. They're overspending. So then they have to file for bankruptcy. But then they're putting the wrong stuff in their bankruptcy documents. And then they're like hiding who owns the company. It's just so frustrating. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm yelling. But this family just like kills me. I love it's it. Just, it's a, okay. It's <laughs> it's un. I know, but I it's unnecessary. They were making money. They could have just. It's not that hard they to live within a your means. Dollars a month, a month. When you make that much, money. Yeah, yeah. But they were still overspending. <laughs> it would have been easy for them to live within their means and not break the law, but they just couldn't do that apparently. And it would have been easy for them to pay their taxes too. This is not. It's not. A single mom with two mortgages and someone trying to provide for their children. You know what I mean? There are people that are actually struggling. These people could have easily lived within their means and pay their taxes and not. It's like they couldn't help themselves. Yeah. And this is only the stuff we know about it. I guarantee you there's probably other stuff. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. But there's more. We're going to, there's more. Oh, but there's, there's so much. We're only at 2012, guys. They haven't even started the TV show yet. (laughs) Yeah. I just needed to get my rant out because I, it's so bad. Okay. They're still in bankruptcy on October 9th, 2012. We just talked about how the bankruptcy trustee is like, we don't know who you all are saying owns Chrisley Asset Management. This is shady as I'll get out. But then October 9th, 2012, Julie Chrisley, as supposedly the owner of Chrisley Asset Management, brings a civil RICO case against Mark Braddock, Mark Braddock's wife, Braddock's attorney, and a ton of other people and companies. If you just listened to our last episode, you know that Apollo had a, a criminal RICO case that was made against him. This is a civil RICO case that's being filed by Julie Chrisley as owner of Chrisley Asset Management. And they're like, plaintiffs, i.e. Julie Chrisley, brings this case to address an ongoing racketeering enterprise and corporate espionage. Like, they, she, she says corp... <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing. She's <laughs> They are accusing other people of corporate espionage, breach of fiduciary duty, Theft of substantial sums of company monies to establish a competing business and other purposes, embezzlement, breach of an operating agreement, forgery and alteration of an operating agreement, forgery and theft of personal funds and other assets, violations of state and federal wiretap statutes, theft of trade secrets and confidential information, interference with and theft of electronic communications of corporate and personal computer records. I know I'm reading this fast and doing that on purpose. And email accounts, (laughs) material misrepresentations of ownership and position in the company for personal gain and to steal company clients and businesses, conspiracy, willful withholding, electronic and personal property of the company, including computer passcodes and access to accounts, material assets of the company, denial of access to proprietary information, theft by conversion, threats of bodily harm, stalking company employees, intimidating company employees to coerce them to lie to members and managers of Chrisley Asset Management LLC and to the government authorities. This is what the Chrisleys are accusing other people of doing to their companies. That's what you guys are doing. (laughs) But also, why are you filing this? You know that you told Mark to do these things for you. You know you told Mark to fraudulently make up documents to get loans. Why are you filing this? It's a bold strategy to go on the offense in this type of... (laughs) They're so (laughs) stupid. These people have so much audacity. So they go on the offense and file this. Immediately when I saw this lawsuit, I was like, wait, they sued Braddock's attorney? 
they allege a RICO case against Braddock's attorney. Even just reading it, there's no evidence in here that the attorney was doing anything other than being an attorney. And that's a bad idea because the court is going to take that seriously if the attorney raises that, which she does. So the court actually orders Rule 11 sanctions against the Chrisley's attorneys for the unsupported allegations made against Braddock's attorney and the stuff I just read. And Rule 11 sanctions, that's a rule in federal court. And it says essentially that by, and I'm paraphrasing here, but when you're an attorney and you sign a pleading and file it in federal court, you're filing this pleading and making this claim in good faith and that you've done the appropriate research to make sure that the claims you're making have some support in basis in fact and law. And the court says there was no basis that Braddock's attorney had done anything wrong. And now you have to pay Rule 11 sanctions and you have to pay Braddock's attorney's fees for defending herself. It looks like they did it to try to get a tactical advantage. They just added her to this RICO charge because then she would no longer be able to represent Braddock because there'd be a conflict. Did I explain that? Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. By making her part of the claim, she then has a conflict and so she can no longer represent them. And the court did not like this. The court says the court finds that sanctions are appropriate under the circumstances of the case, and the court imposes the sanctions on the attorneys. And he says, while the court may elect to impose sanctions on a party to a lawsuit, even one who did not physically sign the pleading, the ultimate responsibility for the sanctionable conduct in this case rests with the attorneys. The court finds there's not a sufficient basis to impose Rule 11 sanctions against Chrisley. This is the judge to the attorneys. You guys are the adults here. You know better. You signed the pleading and filed it. You should have advised your client that this is not the right course of action and you shouldn't have done it. So they ended up having to pay $27,000, slightly over $27,000 to Mark Braddock's attorney, who they had named in the complaint. So that case continues. I will get to the yeah. resolution of that. So now we're up to 2013. 2013 is when the production for the reality show, it got picked up by USA. They ordered a bunch of episodes. So they're filming. So the Chrisleys incorporate Seven Seas Production, Inc. And it's not Seven Seas, the ocean. It's Seven Seas because there's seven Chrisleys. Seven oh, Seas Production. Oh, that's a... clever. I didn't know that. Yeah, <laughs> that was actually pretty clever. <laughs> seven Seas Productions is a loan out company. And this is, by the way, totally fine and reasonable. And a lot of entertainment people have loan out companies. And so entertainers like actors, musicians, reality stars, they set up these corporations as a way to protect their assets and obtain tax benefits. And the basic way it works is that the entertainer is an employee of the loan out company. And then the loan out company is the one that enters into the contracts with the production company or whoever is the one that's going to actually pay. And then the loan out corporation, quote, loans out the services of the entertainer to the production company. Any reality star that we watch on TV, they probably have, if they're doing it correctly, a loan out company so that they can take advantage of these tax benefits. And it's smart and it makes sense. So the loan out company gets monies from the contracts and other businesses and then pays a salary to the entertainer for the services performed. And then the loan out corporation provides services to the entertainer from accounting and legal to coaching and agency fees. And then all of these business expenses are deductible because the entertainer is officially an employee of the loan out company. Whoever is working in this entertainment space can take all the allowable deductions for their legitimate business expenses. So this is fine. This is normal. 
get an accountant to help you with this. The problem is that the way the Chrisleys used this loan out company, which we'll talk more about later. They shouldn't be allowed to have any companies, truly. No, that's should- <laughs> So from the indictment, it says the defendants, knowing that Todd Chrisley owed hundreds of thousands of dollars for the 2009 tax year, purposely hid funds in the name of Seven Seas Productions, so the loan out company. They purposefully kept Todd Chrisley's name off of the bank accounts for the loan out company and corporate filings to impede the IRS's ability to determine his income and collect his unpaid 2009 taxes. So they're using it to hide money. Yeah just can't (laughs) they're they're paying themselves out and then also not paying their taxes and using it to hide money okay that's (laughs) that's 2013 2014 is when the show initially airs 2014 is also when the federal court dismisses julie christie's claim against mark braddock the judge does it on the basis of standing and jurisdiction and we're not going to get into all of that but the judge does seem to in the order kind of go out of their way to say that, well, Mark Braddock is shady, as I'll get out, and does appear to have done a lot of these things. However, you don't have standing to bring this claim and the federal court doesn't have jurisdiction. So it gets dismissed. Also, the Chrisley's attorneys ended up having, the ones that were representing them, ended up having to recuse themselves in the case. It was a whole mess. Going on the offense against Braddock didn't really work out very well for them. So yeah, the show premieres March 11th, 2014 on the USA Network. They did not file or pay taxes in 2014. <laughs> as a as a side note, the bankruptcy is also still going as the show premieres. So the bankruptcy we talked about earlier. So from the indictment, they actually end up quoting part of the show that we've spoken about where Todd says, I make millions of dollars a year, but we still have the same issues that parents who are making $40,000 a year have. Maybe because you're spending too much. He says, in a year, we probably spend over $300,000, sometimes more, just on clothing, like we've mentioned before. So he's saying that as the bankruptcy is still going, they have not been just charged from bankruptcy. <laughs> but but he, his clothes is only worth $650. Right. Right. So. Can't. I just, like, want to punch him. I Cut that out. <laughs> That's a threat. You didn't say you were going to. You said you want to. So it's not a threat. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I want to punch him. <laughs> Over the next several years, Todd, and, and this is from the indictment, Todd and Julie Chrisley earned millions of dollars from Chrisley Knows Best and other media ventures, which they largely used for their own personal benefit, all while claiming they had insufficient funds to pay down Todd Chrisley's 2009 tax bill liability and while failing to timely file federal tax returns or pay income taxes. And then we do know, this is fun, we know how much money they made per episode as the show went on. According to bank records that were reviewed, and this is from the Georgia Department of Revenue, Chrisley and his wife each made approximately $34,000 to $36,000 per episode. Savannah and Chase Chrisley each made approximately $7,000 to $11,000 per episode. Grayson, Lindsay, and Elizabeth Faye Chrisley, that's the grandma, each made approximately $2,000 to $3,000 per episode. I would hope the grandma got paid more later because she was the only thing I liked when I watched <laughs> season eight of the show. There were also bonuses paid out for show renewals. Season one of Chrisley Knows Best had eight episodes. Season two had 12. Season three had 19. And seasons four and five each had 26 episodes. Going to seasons four and five, I did a little math. 
assuming that this is just Todd and Julie, they were each making $34,000 per episode for 26 episodes. That means that combined, they were bringing in close to $2 million, so $1,768,000 a year just for the show. But that's not enough money, Angela. No, it's not. Survive on that. So, no, you can't. You can't live off that. No. Wow. It seems like Mark Braddock is a little bit scorned, and he tells his attorney, Ian Palmer, to contact the Georgia Department of Revenue regarding the Chrisleys. Ooh, revenge. So, the Georgia Department of Revenue starts looking into them. Obviously, Ian Palmer, who's Mark Braddock's attorney may have facilitated this a a little bit. And then Josh Waits, who's the Georgia Department of Revenue Office of Special Investigations Director, learned that the Chrisleys had not filed state taxes in a number of years and filed for bankruptcy. So he asked one of his employees to look into the situation. So she checks and confirms that they hadn't filed state taxes in Georgia, but then they were still, it's 2014, and they're still in their bankruptcy proceeding, and that would stay any collection efforts. So the Georgia Department of Revenue recommends that the they not pursue collection efforts against the Chrisleys while the bankruptcy is still proceeding because it'll just be stayed anyway. So this is where I like to imagine that there are like now people sitting in suits in a dark room figuring out that something's going wrong and they're starting to put all the information <laughs> together. Okay, so they're still in bankruptcy. This is 2014. They're still in bankruptcy. The Georgia Department of Revenue is waiting for the bankruptcy to end, but they're also still not paying state or federal taxes and at this point, Julie Chrisley manufactures financial documents and lies to real estate agents to obtain a luxury rental house in Los Angeles, California, because obviously they need another house in L.A. And then as soon as they began renting the house, they failed to pay the rent and the homeowner filed an eviction lawsuit. This is while they are on the show. This is July 23rd, 2014 to June 20th, 2014. Oh, and the reason why we're not saying alleged for any of this stuff is because they got, spoiler alert, they get convicted of everything. So she, Julie Chrisley emails a realtor attaching a bank statement reporting an account balance of $86,000. And here's what, here's the other thing. It's like just mind boggling to me. They're not even using Photoshop to create, you know, like they could do Adobe PDF and just cut and paste on the computer, but that's not what they're doing. These people are physically cutting and pasting, not... Mm. Computer cutting and pasting, they're using scissors and they're using glue sticks, okay? Scissors and glue sticks. So just, I want you guys to sit there and I want you to imagine Julie Chrisley sitting at her big kitchen table with scissors and an Elmer's glue stick, cutting up financial documents and then pasting new things on top to create new documents. And then, and then, which, okay, so maybe they were doing that to not have a computer record, right? Like they don't want this on the computer, like showing that they've altered the document. But they keep the cut pasted documents. And that like a freaking school project. They're like, oh, let's hang this on the fridge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is from the indictment. In Rieso, like I said, like they she emails this realtor to get this house in LA and a, sta- a statement showing $86,000 in a bank account. In reality, the city national bank account had a balance of negative 14000 in June 2014. And then it says numbers had been physically cut out from one document and then glued or taped onto the account statement to make it appear the account had sufficient funds on deposit. 
And then she also sends the realtor a hyperlink to fake Equifax credit reports. So they end up putting what the credit scores were. So the false credit scores were 767 in Equifax, 770 Experian, and 817 from TransUnion. But in reality, her credit scores were actually 556 Equifax, 558 Experian, and 565 TransUnion. And like you mentioned before, for these two, they physically cut out from one document and glued and tape onto the credit report to make it seem like she had excellent credit scores. And this is all just to get an apartment in Los Angeles that they didn't need. And that they didn't need and then they didn't pay the rent on. So I don't like what was the point of all of that? What was the point? There's no point. They, they, they're like compulsive spenders. They also do not file and pay taxes for 2015. So that's fun. Okay, so this is again from the indictment throughout the conspiracy. This is March 2015. The Chrisleys falsely claimed to third parties that they had filed their federal tax returns. Again, similar to the Judiches. The Judiches submitted tax returns that they had not filed in the bankruptcy proceeding that they voluntarily initiated. Here, the Chrisleys are saying that they filed their tax returns and did not, and then submitting them to people. They sent tax returns for 2013 and 2014 to a bank during a loan application process. The 2013 tax return claimed that Julie Chrisley earned $217,000 in income and owed $59,000 in taxes. But the indictment is clear that Julie Chrisley knew then and there that neither return had been filed and that she had not paid the taxes listed as due and owing. The bankruptcy was still going on this entire time. March 27, 2015, the bankruptcy was actually discharged $46 million in total that they got away without paying. So from the indictment, it says that he filed from bankruptcy and walked away from more than $20 million of the fraudulently obtained loans. So from this, I get that there was $46 million claimed in the bankruptcy, but $20 million was directly from money that they've got via fraudulently obtained loans. So he, I guess, said that his family is in a really good place financially, emotionally, and psychologically. We've weathered the greatest economical downturn that this country has ever seen since the Great Depression. He blamed it on a business situation that occurred and said he had some friends involved that couldn't meet obligations and I was not going to be stuck with this $46 million. So it takes no responsibility for. Yeah, nothing is ever his fault. Yeah. Okay. We're up to 2016 now, guys. The show is obviously continuing to air throughout this time. 2016. They also do not file and pay taxes for 2016. They're also during this time filing false and fraudulent 7C's production corporate tax returns that made it appear like the company, so like the loan out company that we just explained earlier. They're trying to make it appear that that company was not making money. So their accountant, Tarantino, on September 15, 2016, electronically filed 7C's production's corporate tax return, admitting all the information about 7C's production's revenue and distributions. All of the money... The fact that we've been paid the Chrisleys out and that it has revenue, we're just going to not include that in the tax yeah. return. So the money that they're making from the show. And then a year later, in 2017, he did the same thing. And so the indictment alleges that Tarantino sought to lead the IRS to believe that 7C's productions did not earn any revenue during those tax years. Again, while as these people are on TV doing all of their hijinks and spending their money and buying brand new cars for their children and all of this stuff. 
But then, so at some point in 2016, so the two people in suits that figured out that they weren't paying their taxes or got tipped off by Braddock that they weren't paying their taxes, finds out that the bankruptcy was discharged and they're like, now's our chance to go. Now let us do a full assessment and figure out whether or not they're paying their taxes. And they find out that they haven't paid. They owe more than $1 million in state taxes and kind of get the ball rolling on all of that. Yeah. So this is the Georgia Department of Revenue, who is currently in the suits in the room that Sessie's talking about. And it's Miss Vansell and Josh Waits who will come up quite a bit. So they have a meeting, like all these suits get together in December 2016, and they hold a meeting. And this is from like official documents. So they hold a meeting to discuss how the civil collection efforts would proceed. And there's five, there's five suits there. And then so during the meeting, they decide the audits division will generate a tax assessment based on the financial information that they had compiled. And they also had subpoenaed information from like the Chrisley's adjusted gross income from their nine filing years. So they have some information. They are like, okay, Georgia Department of Revenue is like, we're going to make them pay the taxes. So, oh, we forgot to mention at a certain point, the bankruptcy, the federal bankruptcy was transferred from Florida to Georgia because that's where the Chrisleys actually lived. But it's also part of the bankruptcy. They're supposed to be paying a settlement. They didn't get oh, that's to right. walk away scot-free. Right. They had to pay $150,000 as part of a settlement for all the, all, all the charges and all the claims against them. And they ended up, the bankruptcy trustee filed a motion for civil contempt against them because they were not paying the $150,000, which is a small drop in the pond compared to the $46 million that they were discharged from. Yeah. So then in early 2017, the officer of the special investigations waits from the Georgia Department of Revenue. He informs Ms. Vansel, who's one of the other Georgia Department of Revenue people, that one of Todd Chrisley's estranged children, Kyle Chrisley, had reached out to the Georgia Department of Revenue and wanted to assist the Department of Revenue with its collection agents efforts against the Chrisleys. So Kyle and Kyle's then wife, Alexis Chrisley, inform Ms. Vansel from the Georgia Department of Revenue that the Chrisleys had moved to Tennessee but still had personal property stored in Georgia somewhere. It's Kyle Chrisley, who's the oldest child, and it's from Chrisley's first marriage. That He's the second oldest. Oh, he's the oh, that's right. Lindsay's the oldest. Lin, is it Lindsay and then Kyle? Okay, so the two children from the first marriage, but it's actually Kyle Chrisley that reaches out and with his then wife to rat out the <laughs> Todd and Julie to the Georgia Department of Revenue to help them collect some assets. So millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? 
Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Well, right now we have two snitches. We have Mark Braddock and now Kyle Chrisley. Yes. Yes. And well, and his wife, Alexis Chrisley. I'm lumping them together. It was a joint effort there. (laughs) Fine. So now we have a third agency enter. (laughs) The way Ceci put it when we were prepping, she's like, okay, player three enters the chat or (laughs) enters the game. (laughs) So on February 7, 2017, Ms. Vansel reaches out to a civil IRS revenue officer who was assigned to collect federal taxes owed by the Chrisleys to the IRS. And Ms. Vansel also knew that the IRS had a tax lien against the Chrisleys, a lien that is superior to the Georgia Department of Revenue's lien. Pretty much an IRS lien is going to be superior to any other lien. <laughs> it's just how it works. And so because the Georgia Department of Revenue believed the Chrisleys owed more than a million in state taxes, the Georgia Department of Revenue wanted to start negotiating with the IRS, which apparently is a common practice. And so they are trying to negotiate. Like So now the agencies that have entered the game in order to get the taxes paid are, are working on negotiating with each other as to who's going to get to collect what it looks like. So that starts. So this is, again, it's all coming down to residential issues because he's claiming that the primary property he has is in Florida, which has no state income tax, but then declared he was a Georgia resident in court filings from 2010 and 2011. So he's just offering really conflicting statements in filings. Like, it's not just him talking about it. He actually, like, put this stuff in writing. Yeah. So this is, this is again, some more stuff about how everyone sucks here. And we're going to go into this because this is part of the Chrisley's defense in their federal trial. But... One of the Georgia Department of Revenue officers is very interested in the Chrisleys, and that's Waits. And according to federal documents, so Waits continued to take an interest in the Chrisleys, which ultimately led, and this is again according to a federal document, to the Georgia Department of Revenue's misuse of a U.S. Department of Treasury investigative tool. After the February 15, 2017 internal Georgia Department of Revenue meeting, Ms. Vansel continued her efforts to locate assets belonging to the Chrisleys using standard compliance division techniques. And so that's, you know, they're sending subpoenas and then doing financial analysis, trying to do some forensic accounting, figuring, you know, the basic normal stuff they do to figure out where the assets are and collect taxes. At a certain point, Kyle Chrisley had reported to 
Miss Vansel that he believed his parents may have an offshore bank account in the Cayman Islands where they were hiding a significant amount of money. Okay, offshore account information is not typically available through ordinary Georgia Department of Revenue compliance research, so Ms. Vansel asked Waits at the Georgia Department of Revenue if he knew of a way to look for the account. Waits told Ms. Vansel she could submit a request through the United States Department of Treasury Financial Crimes Enforcement Network called FinCEN, it's, which is a, an extraordinary law enforcement tool that's designed to further either terrorist or significant money laundering investigations. The, the federal government put significant money laundering investigations in quotes. So pursuant to Waits' suggestion, Vansel filled out this request and turned it over to the Office of Special Investigations Employee to be submitted to the Department of Treasury via FinCEN. But unbeknownst to Ms. Vansel, when Santil submitted the request, he falsely certified that the Department of Revenue, the Georgia Department of Revenue, had a significant money laundering investigation into the Chrisleys. So they weren't investigating, Georgia wasn't investigating money laundering, but it looks like there was a slight misuse of this extraordinary research tool to try to figure out if they, the Chrisleys had money in the Cayman Islands. And this is, again, from a government, the federal government documents. So <laughs> do you want to talk about what Todd Chrisley is saying at the same time? <laughs> yeah. So in a February 2017 interview, Todd Chrisley says, quote, obviously the federal government likes my tax returns because I pay $750,000 to $1 million just about every year. So the federal government doesn't have a problem with my taxes. False, sir. <laughs> they do have a problem <laughs> with your taxes because you're not paying that much. Oh, God. I liked this part. So this is again from the indictment. The defendants, i.e. the Chrisleys, continued to take part in this conspiracy even after receiving repeated notices that they were required to file tax returns and pay taxes due and owing. In March 2017, the IRS sent correspondence to the Chrisleys about taxpayers' income tax obligations, including a pamphlet entitled, quote, Why Do I Have to Pay Taxes?, which stated in part, while taxpayers have the right to test their liabilities, Taxpayers do not have the right to violate and disobey tax laws. Like, I think it's funny that the IRS is, like, sending them pamphlets being like, you have to pay your taxes. Yeah. And you yeah. can't – like, they're literally, like, sending them, pa like, pamphlets being like, this is wrong. Like, maybe and this will help you understand. Yeah. So then the, the loan out company comes up again because they open and – Put bank accounts only in Julie Chrisley's name, kind of like we mentioned before, Todd Chrisley wasn't listed on the bank accounts. And then one day after the IRS requested information about bank accounts in Julie Chrisley's name, they then transferred ownership of the corporate bank accounts to Todd Chrisley's mother to further hide this income from the IRS. And Todd Chrisley's mother goes by Nanny Faye on the show. And yeah, he basically made her the owner of the loan out company. That is terrible mm -hmm. because, I mean, there's no there's no claim from the Georgia Department of Revenue, from the feds, from anybody that Nanny Faye had anything to do with anything. She has never been charged with anything. And I fully believe, even though she's adorable, that if she had been doing something wrong, the feds would have absolutely charged her. But to possibly involve your own mother in the scheme just to avoid paying taxes is just abhorrent. Mm -hmm. Also, she was one of the only ones I actually kind of liked on the show really, when I watched it. <laughs> That's just terrible. Just pay your taxes. So the indictment talks about this. And the, the indictment says Todd and Julie Chrisley knew then and there that we'll just call her Nanny Faye 
was not the president or owner of Seven Seas Productions. In fact, on March 6, 2017, when having to show sufficient available funds during a loan application process, Todd and Julie Chrisley told a mortgage broker that Julie Chrisley, not Nanny Faye, was the true owner of Seven Seas Productions. In keeping Julie Chrisley's name off the newly created Seven Seas Productions bank account, Todd and Julie Chrisley sought to hide future income from the IRS. They make Nanny Faye the owner of the corporation, but then to other people trying to get more loans, they're saying that Julie's in charge of it and then keep Todd off of everything. So not only do they fraudulently transfer it in Nanny Faye's name, they go on to lie to other loan, to other lenders that Julie's still the owner of it. It's just like such a web of lies. It's just not, it's just nonstop. It's nonstop. Nonstop. So all of this is going, like, this is the same day that they're hiding, trying to hide Seven Seas Productions income from the federal government. Then on the same day, March 7, 2017, the Georgia Department of Revenue files a lien against the Chrisley's property for the assessed amounts. The lien was personally served with the assistance of local law enforcement. And Mr. Waits, the person that we talked about earlier that was extremely interested in the Chrisley's from the Georgia Department of Revenue, he like normally somebody like that wouldn't do a like wouldn't personally serve them, but he wanted to do it. So he personally served them at their house. Lindsay Chrisley testifies that she first learned her parents were under the state tax investigation when that personal service happened. So when they showed up and like served them with the liens and the tax assessments. And then, of course, there's multiple news stories about their investigation that come out on March 7, 2017. Yeah. So then Kyle goes on to give an interview on Good Morning America and he spills that his family has bragged about not paying taxes in Georgia. He claims that Todd was never a Florida resident. They only vacationed there and lived in Georgia. Furthermore, Julie testified previously under er, under oath in the bankruptcy proceedings that they did not live in Florida and never lived in Florida. So under oath, she said they never lived in Florida, yet they're over here claiming that they lived in Florida still. And then... After seeing that video, Lindsay, the oldest daughter, called her father and brother and asked them what they knew about the televised report and the ongoing investigation. In response to everything Kyle said in that Good Morning America interview, Todd defended himself on a radio show, saying that he was still a resident of Florida. He's still sticking to his guns. He said, quote, I have been a Florida resident for over 15 years, so my taxes have always been filed. And if I don't make money in Georgia... I don't pay taxes on it in Georgia. Notably, once the indictment was issued, Kyle Chrisley, who did battle substance abuse, and it was mentioned on the first season of the show, said he'd lied about his father's taxes in the past because of his drug addiction. In a Facebook post, he said, I've seen all the stories about my dad's indictment all over the Internet. I know the interview I did bashing my dad over a year ago is being shared on social media. Honestly, I'm tired of it. You guys don't have the facts, and I need to set the record straight once and for all. Everything I said in my interview was a lie. These allegations against my dad are all lies. He said he was very guilty about, he felt very guilty about this, and the feeling was indescribable. I mean, mean, the dude wasn't wrong, like, in what he said, you know? it's, It's just, if Julie Chrisley says they live in Georgia under oath, then Todd Chrisley says, no, I live in Florida. Kyle Chrisley goes on Good Morning America and says one thing and then later says, oh, no, it was all lies. It's just 
Okay. But it so, doesn't seem like he apologized for tipping off the the Georgia Revenue Department. Well, that all seemed like it got – it seemed like Todd Chrisley, from the stuff we were looking at, was blaming all of that on Lindsey Chrisley and not on well, Kyle. Yeah, we're going to get there. Right. Okay. But it's okay. like – yeah, that's later. But I'm just saying it's like he's apologizing for the interview, but maybe maybe it hadn't come out at that point yet that, like, Kyle actually yeah. tipped off the people in – the finance people in Georgia. Okay. We're still in March 24th, 2017. And I thought this was interesting because you guys are always asking us if people being on TV makes them more of a target, if there's somebody that's watching the shows to see if people are lying about stuff, you know, and like the IRS or whatever. And here we have from a government document filed in court that IRS Special Agent Arrow, which is a pretty cool name, first became aware of the Chrisleys around March 24, 2017, when he received an email from his supervisor with a link to a news article about the Chrisleys' potential state tax evasion. As was standard practice, Special Agent Arrow treated that email as a potential case lead. So anyone about to go on reality TV, pay your taxes, pay all your taxes, pay extra taxes, pay over, because they are paying attention. So then shortly after the Good Morning America interview, March 28, 2017, Kyle, or his now ex-wife Alexis Chrisley, informed Ms. Vansel that plaintiffs had a warehouse full of furniture in Georgia that GDOR could levy. So he's still tipping off. Yes. Okay. So I thought this was interesting. So yeah, Kyle tells the Georgia Department of Revenue about a warehouse, and apparently this Lindsay Chrisley also does get a little bit involved at this point. And the, Kyle and Lindsay were trying to help the Georgia Department of Revenue find wherever they were storing all this furniture in the warehouse. However, later that month, Ms. Vansel from the Georgia Department of Revenue located the Chrisley's furniture at the printer and parts warehouse in Duluth, Georgia on her own because she found a copy of a check from the Chrisley's made out to the warehouse noting furniture storage in some Bank of America records she had subpoenaed. So March 28th, 2017, it's located, and then a levy is executed on that property, and they seize the property to pay the large state tax debt in Georgia. And it says the property consisted primarily of furniture, about seven houses worth of furniture filling 10,000 square feet of storage space, and 20 to 25 boxes containing documents and other small items. This is important. Remember that. And this is from federal government paperwork, because we'll explain later why all of this is so detailed and why it comes up. So although the Georgia Department of Revenue issued a tax assessment and filed levy paperwork and served the Chrisleys with notice before seizing the property, the Georgia Department of Revenue failed to take the additional necessary step of obtaining a judge-issued seizure warrant in advance. They forgot that. Apparently, the Georgia Department of Revenue forgot that part. <laughs> kind of important. So then May 3rd, 2017, Lindsay Chrisley finally contacts Mr. Waits. She got his number from either Kyle or his then-wife, Alexis. She said that she knew her brother was providing information to the GDOR and news reporters. She said she was already aware of the investigation because of conversations with her brother and dad. And she witnessed the service of the lien and, of course, watched news reports on it. It says, as an informant, Lindsay told Mr. Waits several improprieties relevant to the investigation, particularly that her parents were not Florida residents, duh, but that they lived in Georgia during relevant time, all relevant times, and that plaintiffs had a $75 million production deal. So now Lindsay's singing. July 2017, 
the IRS revenue officer refers to Chris Lee's case to the IRS investigations unit for a possible criminal investigation after reviewing the Chris Lee's financials, which were obtained through an IRS civil summons and IRS collection records. The IRS agent determined that the Chrisleys were making sufficient income that they could have been paying towards the federal taxes they owed and were not doing so. And so as a result, the case is referred to the criminal department for a fraud investigation. So then there are allegations that Mr. Waits is kind of acting a little beyond his rights or being a little bit shady. He's the one that Angela mentioned was kind of too interested and too involved in all of this. And I guess there are text messages between Mr. Waits and Lindsay that they were claiming was he was improperly divulging information that he shouldn't have been. Do you want to be Lindsay? Yes. Okay. So this is an August 13, 2017 text message. And this is Lindsay. So I guess I answered my own question. They're going to need a different attorney than they are used to. This is just really bad. I might be sick. You knew this day may come. When I tell you I haven't slept every night and I haven't fallen asleep until like 5.30, 5.40 a.m., I don't want Jackson to see or hear anything. It's a blessing that I don't travel to Nashville anymore. So the IRS completed their audit for the criminal side and then turned over their returns to us so we could bill them as well. The feds are pushing it because they are saying the $75 million deal is for real, including a show for your grandma by herself. Wow. So what will they do? Are they trying to shut it down? But it's a production deal to do like three different shows. So it's not like they're getting $75 million. She's being very casual with Lindsay. Yeah. Yeah. Not great. Yeah. No. So now we're up to February 2018, and this is from the indictment, and it says, to further the conspiracy, Tarantino, who's their accountant, knowingly lied to federal agents employed by the FBI and the IRS Criminal Investigation Division that Todd Chrisley, that Tarantino did not know. So their accountant is saying to the IRS and the FBI that he doesn't know how Todd Chrisley earns his money. And the indictment says these statements and representations were false because Tarantino, i.e. their accountant, knew then and there that Todd Chrisley received income through Seven Seas Productions. We're still 2018 in February. And now that now the IRS is involved, all of the players have entered the game. And the men in suits. They, all the men in suits. Yeah, they're and women. There's women in and suits. women. The IRS is executing search warrants on the stuff that's been seized by the Georgia Department of Revenue. And they execute the search warrants at the warehouse where the Department Georgia Department of Revenue is storing all of the seized furniture. Federal agents seized just one or two boxes of documents and a thumb drive. So among the materials seized by the federal agents are at least three physically cut and pasted doctored up financial documents that the Chrisley defendants sent in furtherance of the wire fraud conspiracy. So then the Chrisleys now try and step in and say that the seizure was in violation of their Fourth Amendment because it was done without a warrant. The Chrisleys are now trying to, I guess, accuse Mr. Waits or bring out all the things that they believe he did improperly, including that they violated their Fourth Amendment right because they took the property without a seizure warrant. And then they also claim that Mr. Waits, the guy that we said was too involved, took likely illegal steps during the time frame that Ms. Vansel was trying to locate these assets. 
Ms. Vansell testified that Josh Waits was unusually interested in the Chrisleys during this time frame. For instance, Waits insisted on driving to Tennessee, like Angela said, to serve the Chrisleys with their tax lien and even had a dartboard with Todd Chrisley's face on it. We skipped ahead a little bit. In their federal trial, they're trying to keep, for example, these physically cut and pasted documents out, saying it's basically the fruit of a poisonous tree because the Georgia Department of Revenue seized these documents without getting the seizure warrant that they needed from the judge to do it. Meanwhile, the feds are saying, we didn't have anything to do with that. The Georgia Department of Revenue had already seized these documents. We legally did all the steps that we needed to do to go in and look at the stuff the Georgia Department of Revenue had gotten. It wasn't, there's no poisonous tree here for us. We didn't violate their Fourth Amendment rights. There's no law enforcement misconduct related to a Fourth Amendment violation. But the feds do say, quote, Josh Waits certainly took improper and likely illegal steps during the time frame. The feds are saying, look, we don't like what he did. You really enhance your credibility with the judge and with everyone else by saying, look, this isn't the best set of facts, but here's why we still win. And so by acknowledging that, it's just really, it makes the argument a lot stronger. And they're talking about the exclusionary rule because they're arguing that this stuff should be excluded from trial. And that's a judicially created remedy designed to safeguard Fourth Amendment rights through its deterrent effect rather than a personal constitutional right of the party aggrieved. This is what the government's arguing. The federal government is saying we didn't do anything wrong. Our stuff, we did it all properly. There may have been some improper stuff, but we should still get to use these documents, essentially. All right. So August 13, 2019, the indictment is issued. So Todd and Julie were indicted on five counts of bank fraud, one count of conspiracy to commit bank fraud, one count of conspiracy to defraud the United States, and one count of tax fraud. Julie was also charged with one count of wire fraud and one count of obstruction of justice and was accused of creating a fake credit report and false bank statements to rent a home, like we mentioned earlier. I think it's notable to mention what the obstruction of justice charge was for. It's because during the grand jury proceedings, she submitted fraudulent documents to cover a lie. The lie was that they had transferred a company account to Todd Chrisley's mother to avoid taxes, and they ended up lying about it. This is what we mentioned earlier, where they did the transfer to Nana Fay? Is it Nana Fay? And then Nanny lied yeah. to the, Nanny Fay, Nana Fay, Nanny Fay, and then lied to the bank that Julie was still in charge of it. So Julie now submitted a fake document that the lie was never there. The bank, the bank knew there was no lie to the grand jury proceedings. So like, oh my God, this it's nonstop. Just so I wonder if she cut and pasted that it's one nonstop. too. Nonstop, probably. She probably, probably got out her scissors and her glue stick. So they plead not guilty to the charges. They claim that Mark Braddock did everything, that Mark Braddock faked the email. I mean, that's like what they say from the very beginning is that it wasn't us. It was somebody else. We're innocent. Mark Braddock did it all. It's because our kids are lying about us to the tax enforcement people. Todd posts an Instagram post August 2019, so right after the indictment comes down. And he says it all started back in 2012 when we discovered that a trusted employer of ours had been stealing from us big time. I won't go into details. Well, I mean, he did because they had a trial, but involved all kinds of really bad stuff like creating phony documents, forging our signatures and threatening other employees with violence if they said anything. When we when we even discovered that he illegally bugged our home 
To get revenge, he took a bunch of his phony documents to the U.S. attorney's office and told them he had committed all kinds of financial crimes, like tax evasion and bank fraud that got their attention all right. But once we had a chance to explain who who he was and what he'd done to us, they realized it was all a bunch of nonsense, and they sent him on his way. I don't think they realized yeah. it was a bunch of nonsense. Because yeah, they <laughs> indicted. Good try, Todd. This is all okay, so Okay, so the indictment is... August 13, 2019. Then September 30th, 2019, they settle their Georgia Department of Revenue tax investigation. So they they pay Georgia in a settlement. And then October 15, 2019, the Chrisleys go on the offense again. And this time they sue Joshua Waits, who is the director of the Office of Special Investigation for Georgia's Revenue Office. So the, the Waits person, guy. the guy... Yeah, the, the guy yeah. at the dartboard that personally served them and that was texting Lindsay Chrisley, they sue him. The lawsuit calls Waits, quote, out of control public servant who has used his position to violate the rights of innocent citizens for reasons that have more to do with securing publicity and money for his office than with enforcing the law. And then they the lawsuit alleges that Waits targeted their daughter and improperly shared confidential tax information to try to get compromising information on the family. So then going back to Kyle in 2020, he claims that it was actually Lindsay and his biological mom, Teresa Terry, so Todd's first wife, who spoke to authorities about his father and stepmom, Julie. He said, quote, about a year and a half ago, my biological mom and my sister, Lindsay, were responsible for turning my dad into the Georgia Department of Revenue for tax evasion. He said it was a rocky, he used the rocky relationship with Todd to their advantage. He said I was battling drug addiction and I felt like he was trying to control me so when they said if he's locked up he can't put you back in treatment I said okay I should have said no Lindsay then says that she through her attorney denied turning in her father ever she told the FBI then that Todd and her brother Chase were trying to extort her by threatening to release a sex tape so Todd and her brother Chase believed that it was actually Lindsay that tipped everyone off and got this all started Lindsay but it, said it, that according her, to the documents, it was actually Kyle, though, right? Like from what we know, it was Kyle. Know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it was totally yes, Kyle. It was definitely yeah. Kyle. But they're saying that they think, like Todd and this Chase son, are thinking that it was Lindsay. So they're threatening to release a sex tape to change her story. They're like, if you don't change your story about us, we're going to release the sex tape. Todd denied it, and ugh, this is just so abhorrent. He denies it and says, quote, it's heartbreaking and shameful that these kinds of accusations have to be aired in public. We have tried to keep Lindsay's extramarital relationships with Robbie Hayes and Josh Murray private for her sake since August of 2016. So not only he's like, no, we're not trying to extort her. But then in the statement saying that he's not trying to extort her, he alleges or accuses her of having extramarital affairs with these two Bachelor contestants. Which is just so gross of him. Murray, one of the Bachelor contestants. Oh, I used to watch The Bachelor. I don't anymore. I used to be, before I got into Housewives, I was watching The Bachelor. I know who these people are. And so he says that he, where did he say this? Did he He releases a statement. He, re- he yeah. released a formal statement with this stuff in it? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, so Murray, who's one of the two Bachelor contestants, responded saying they should probably focus on how not to be in prison for 30 years rather than spreading (laughs) gossip to try and hurt their daughter. 
Hayes, who's the other contestant, admitting to being the man in the alleged sex tape, but said he and Lindsay had not known they were being filmed. They said we got caught on a security camera. He said it was a puppy cam in a friend's living room on the couch that they crashed on. Lindsay's lawyer also responded and said, unfortunately, certain members of her family will not let her live in peace. We are flabbergasted at the audacity of Todd and Chase, who are more focused on attacking my client rather than defending themselves against the allegations of criminal conduct. While it is not necessary to detail their repugnant actions, it is important to note that the allegations are of serious crimes against Lindsay. Lindsay has made a complaint of their acts to law enforcement, and she will provide them whatever they need in the course of their investigation and her family's actions. Lindsay prays for a just outcome so she can go forward with her life safe from those who are looking to harm her. Then Todd's daughter, Savannah, so it's like the whole family is split on this, says it's extremely sad that my dad has a child of his that's trying to make his life so miserable just because she wasn't on the show and she didn't get the attention that she wanted. It's so messed up. They're like throwing Lindsay under the bus or accusing her of setting this all off because she wanted attention on the show. And really, it was Kyle who started. Yeah, it was Kyle. I mean, it wasn't. But the thing is, like, it wasn't either one of their kids that started the whole thing by reporting it. They did it. They did the things that were bad. They lied. They grifted. They falsified documents for all of these years. But he's still willing to try to make his daughter look bad. And he knows he did that stuff. But they're still willing to try to make their daughter look bad. Even if no one would have tipped them off, it would have come out because they filed the bankruptcy. They filed that lawsuit, which would have had to go into discovery had it not been dismissed. I just there was I think it, it would have come crashing down on them, even if Mark hadn't given the tax return information to the government, even if. Kyle wasn't like, hey, we got some offshore bank accounts. And even if Lindsay wasn't like, hey, they're about to get a $75,000 deal, it still would have probably come out. So also, well, like, don't again, shoot the, the messenger. You did the bad stuff. We, But the thing is, because they went on the offense when they sued Joshua Waits, the Georgia Department of Revenue guy with the dartboard and whatever, he had a summary judgment motion that, hey, we were going to investigate all of this without any of my conversations with any of the kids yeah. or anybody like people are yeah. terrible <sighs> now we're up to 2021 and i wanted to bring this up because telegram came up in the jen shaw stuff but apparently an investigator discovered a telegram profile connected to mark braddock's phone number and bore mark braddock's photo and the name mark chrisley part of the chrisley's defense is that mark braddock is obsessed with todd chrisley and like wants to impersonate him, wants to be him, kind of like a single white female type thing a little bit. Yeah. Oh, so and then like July 9th. Chrisley. Yeah. July 9th, 2021. We have yet another libel lawsuit to briefly mention. We couldn't get away from an episode without talking about libel. One of the Department of Revenue employees said that Chrisley used his podcast, Chrisley's Confessions, which is funny. That's funny. <laughs> Their podcast was Chrisley's Confessions. Between March 9th and July 7, 2020, to attack her, accusing her of a multitude of crimes and wrongdoing. She files this lawsuit in Georgia federal court on July 9th, 2021. And she says that all of the accusations, all the things that Chrisley said about her on his Chrisley's Confessions platform were false. And then also on Instagram, I guess Chrisley accused her of using taxpayers' money to go to Disney World during a work trip. And he's making all of these allegations against them, against this government employee on his podcast. And then she's, I am a private citizen. 
I'm suing you for libel. <laughs> so she does. Good for her. Yeah. So then trial begins May 16, 2022. On May 17, Assistant U.S. Attorney Annalise Peters gave her opening statement claiming that Todd and Julie submitted false documents exaggerating their wealth to banks to borrow over $30 million that they burned on their affluent lifestyle while additionally hiding money from the IRS. They made up documents and they lie through their teeth to get whatever they want whenever they want it. Todd's Chris, Todd Chrisley's attorney, like we've mentioned before, blamed the couple's former employee, Mark Braddock, for impersonating Todd and committing the fraud behind the couple's back, reportedly turning on them after he was fired in 2012. Chrisley's attorney, Morris, argued Braddock did everything he could to live like Todd, including buying one of Chrisley's former homes and impersonating Chrisley on the phone calls. When speaking about how the couple used to brag about how much money they spent... Again, on the show, they said they spent $300,000 a year on clothing. Their attorney said it's all part of the sizzle. It's all part of the show. It's all part of the act. Very similar to, I think, what we're going to hear Jen Shaw's attorney argue. Yeah. The U.S. attorney acknowledged that Mark Braddock was a fraudster, but they were like, who cares if he's a fraudster? You guys kept falsifying documents even after you cut all ties with Mark. So... Who the heck cares if Mark was a fraudster or not? You guys also continued to do your fraudulent activity after he was fired. So Tarantino's attorney also said that the accountant, Tarantino, was in over his head and unqualified to handle the Chrisley's finances, noting that he failed the CPA exam many times over 20 years. Oh, man. He said even though he wasn't qualified, Tarantino is not a criminal. So their defense is like the accountant... Oh, no, he's just he's bad. Just, he's just he bad at qualified. This. He was just a bad. Yeah. Yeah. But he's not a criminal. OK. Yeah. So the prosecution had over 20 witnesses. The defense had 16 witnesses. The defense defense's case lasted three days. And it was focused on trying to show that Todd and Julie had tried to pay their taxes before and after they were being investigated by the IRS. Yeah. So they tried <sighs> to present these emails that show that Todd was emailing his accountant, Tarantino, Asking about the status of his taxes, there was a tax expert who investigated the Chrisley's case on behalf of the defense and testified that the couple eventually, after they became the center of a federal fraud investigation, paid all of their back taxes to the IRS, with the exception of past due fees and other penalties. So they're like, oh, no, 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 no. We're good. We're good. We were, we were trying to pay our taxes. Like, okay. So here's some of the testimony that we wanted to highlight This is going to kind of recap what we've already been through, but I kind of wanted to talk about it in the context of the trial. So Braddock, Mark Braddock, was actually granted immunity for his testimony. He testified that the Chrisleys were spending far more than was coming in. He needed $500,000 to $600,000 a month just to stay even, adding that the pair were given at least $60 million in loan. Okay, this is the ringer. Braddock claimed that he and Todd had an intimate relationship during their decade-long friendship. I was complicit in giving him what he needed. We had a personal relationship of an intimate nature. I would do whatever he needed to get done, adding they had a brotherhood and business relationship following their alleged one-year intimate relationship. He testified he engaged the fraud, but only at the Chrissy's direction and because of lingering romantic feelings for Todd. He testified during his employment, Chrisley's foreclosure management company, 
that he was contacted. Oh, this is like another another little juicy thing. They were contacted by an anonymous texture who threatened to go public with a Chrisley and Brodick's fraud. And they said, you should pay cash and we'll shut up. So they made four $9,500 withdrawals, which I think is like $38,000 from the business account. And Chrisley met in a parking garage and gave the blackmailer all the money in a little bag. So that's just like a random like something out of a they were... movie. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. If you've watched our YouTube video on money laundering and heard us talk about other, I think we talked about it in connection with the Jen Shaw case, this makes sense, the $9,500, because $10,000 is what triggers the tax reporting requirement. So they made four withdrawals of $9,500. I mean, but it's still, that's so random. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just in a little bag to pay the blackmailer. Take some out of a movie. So then employee Donna Cash also testified that Mark Braddock told her to commit financial fraud with him in order to ruin the Chrisley's finances. According to Donna, who worked at the asset management company, company, she sent fake financial documents to loan companies and lied about the health of the company at Braddock's urging. So she's one of the defense's witnesses that's saying that this was all Mark's doing. She testified that she stopped when she realized that Chrisley's home was on the brink of foreclosure and confided in Chrisley that both Mark and I were lying to him about everything that was going on. She said it was the worst thing I've ever done in my life. There was the former accountant of Cam, Alina Clary. She testified that despite Cam, so the, what was it, Chrisley Asset Management doing well, Todd and Julie were spending more than was coming in and sometimes spent business funds on themselves, leaving nothing to pay for bills or salaries. When they tried to rein in his spending or denied him distributions from the accounts, which were far in the hole, Todd would throw expletive-filled tantrums and he once called her a fucking Russian bitch when he when she denied him money from the company account. The original the Braddock and Alina got so tired of it. They were like, we're just going to start our own company. Chris Lee hearing this and we mentioned this before that they were fired. He locked them out of the building and accused them of stealing money from him. Do you want to talk about Lindsay? Lindsay ended up testifying for the defense. And I had this was the whole thing was weird to me because I, again, not knowing any of these people, Prior to doing this episode and doing the research for the show, I looked up the Dr. Phil episode that she did, and she was definitely not on her father's side in the Dr. Phil interview. But so Lindsay testified she worked at Chrisley Asset Management, i.e. CAM, with Braddock and saw Braddock using her father's email. And then when asked about the extortion claim that she made, which she talked about on Dr. Phil, Lindsay was combative with the prosecutor who asked her during cross-examination about reaching out to law enforcement about her dad. And apparently this got so combative with the way she was answering questions that jurors actually reacted and said something out loud. If the jurors are actually commenting in the box about that is bad. And then the judge admonishing her. So her responses at trial were drastically different from what she said in the email that she's confronted with, and she spoke in a very sarcastic and defensive manner. And the judge actually said, quote, you're not doing anybody any favors by answering questions like that. Trust me. Trust me. End quote. So Lindsay said later she learned there was no sex tape and now doesn't believe her father was behind the extortion. And I don't know what to make of her weird flip-flop because going on Dr. Phil and being very clear about this, filing the police report, doing all of this stuff, and then recanting, it makes me want – in the first episode – the first season of the show, he talked about how he had 
tracking stuff on all of the kids' computers. And he could see – it makes me wonder if he just has a file of stuff on the kids that he can pull out and use on them. Well, I mean, yeah, like we talked about earlier, he was like, well, you had two extramarital affairs. It's like, you know? Yeah. He probably like, has a lot more that? against her. Yeah. I know. Okay, so then Nanny Faye also testifies, and she says that it was her practice to not read documents before she signed them. So when she was given a list of financial records, which said she was the owner of the loan-out company, she said she may have signed them, but didn't know anything about their contents. She admitted that she didn't read any of it, never wanted any part of it. Her testimony was interrupted at one point, too, by the judge, who said to stop calling counsel honey. She kept going, honey? Wow. Yeah. She also testified that at one point she did give the Chrisleys access to her bank and her money, but it was after they were struggling because Braddock took their money and and there was evidence that she used her account to deposit checks from their show into her account. And then there was also evidence that the Chrisleys got a Bentley out in her name. So that's just like a high level summary. There's a, a lot more testimony, but yeah, it's kind of the highlights in a condes- condensed form. So there's a quote from the closing argument from the U.S. attorney that I wanted to read. And it says, the Chrisleys didn't have to commit fraud to enjoy a privileged life, but they did it anyway. Todd and Julie Chrisley made good money in the real estate foreclosure business, but that wasn't enough for them. Because of their greed, they had to have more. And for what? Todd's cross-country trips to get his hair cut? Quote, in this country, it doesn't matter if you're a self-made millionaire. It doesn't matter if you're a highly trained accountant. And it certainly doesn't matter if you're a reality television star. The law is the law. And just one note about Todd's. So, like, apparently Todd was flying cross country twice a month from Georgia to or wherever he was, Georgia to L.A. to get his haircut. But on the show, he has literally the most basic haircut. There is nothing. (laughs) There's no reason to be flying across country. I don't know what he was doing in L.A., but it was not necessary to go there for him to get that haircut. He can go to prison and get the same exact haircut. There's actually some very talented barbers in jail. He'll probably see that it's cheaper. Yeah, there's a lesson. So June 7th, 2022, the guilty verdict was entered. Todd was convicted of conspiracy to commit bank fraud, bank fraud, conspiracy to defraud the United States, and tax fraud. Julie was convicted of conspiracy to commit bank fraud, bank fraud, conspiracy to defraud the United States, tax fraud, and wire fraud. The former accountant was also found guilty of conspiracy to defraud the United States and willfully filing false tax returns. So now they're out on bond. The sentencing is scheduled for October 8th, 2022. Some of their bond conditions, I like reading these, so I thought I'd mention them. The court placed the Chrisleys on a location monitoring program that they have to pay for. The Chrisleys are also under home detention. They can only leave the house for work, medical appointments, church services, and court appearances. They have to alert their probation officers to any spending over $1,000 according to the order. There was something else you wanted to mention. Oh, the show. The show. Oh, what happens yeah. To the I show? Mean, I, so I did find on Reddit that there's a Chrisley knows best subreddit, and there was a producer that got on there that was anonymous, but said that he had verified with the mods that he was actually a producer and said that the show is not going to be renewed. And people were commenting saying, well, what, Bravo lets everybody come back after they go to jail. And he was saying that, that they have a different sort of 
fan base. The the premise of the show is really, I mean, it, Chris Lee was constantly spouting all of these platitudes. The first episode, he's like, there's no right way to do a wrong thing. And like going on and on and on. And they're constantly referencing God and all of this stuff. I, I don't think this is going to be a situation where they get to continue the this particular show they haven't accepted and they haven't accepted responsibility for anything they're still denying it they're going to appeal i don't think sentencing is going to go very well for them yeah and you want to give your thoughts on sentencing i mean all of the charges are pretty bad i think weirdly like inspiring to defraud the u.s i think has like the lowest just base level sentence but everyone's been saying 30 they could get up to 30 years I think it's actually more than that. I think each of the charges that they were found guilty on, most of them have the maximum sentence is up to 30 years. I, I don't, no one thinks they're going to get that much. No one thinks they're going to get that much. I'm guessing they'll probably be allowed to serve a sentence concurrently, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's five to seven years I, I because they, there's just, they haven't accepted any responsibility. They're appealing and the evidence against them I mean, the amounts are huge. The fact that it's gone on for so many years. And then, I mean, the Judice showed remorse, pled guilty very quickly, and were, at least to the judge, contrite about what they had done. They And then they still messed up their stuff during their sentencing hearing. But this is a totally different situation. So it's I, it's not going to go. I, I don't want to speculate too much, yeah. but I don't think it's going to go well for them. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll probably do an update on that either via podcast episode or post on Instagram or Patreon. But that's it. This is a lot. There's so much. I hate them. Yeah, and <laughs> we know there's stuff that we weren't able to cover. And legal team, we are sorry for that. But this is there's just so much. There's just so much here. But thank you guys for recommending this because we really had a lot of fun researching these people and going through this extraordinary long timeline of their shady events and i am very interested to see what these sentencing memorandums say but thank you for listening as always i want a, a gentle reminder that we we have merchandise bravo docket legal team you can find that on our website we have a patreon be sure to follow us on instagram and send us your thoughts on future episodes we really appreciate it when you guys leave good reviews for us on itunes and we're very grateful for all those, and we get excited when we get to read the nice things you guys say. So we really appreciate that, and it's a great way to help support the podcast. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Bye. The Bravo Docket is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Bravo Docket is part of the ACAST Creator Network. <laughs> 